go ahead and grab out your Bible and something to take some notes with everybody. Uh, of course, you can pull up the VHC Church app. Got a fill in the blank version of the notes there for you as well. If you like fill in the blank, you like everything written, you want to write down what I want you to write down. Got fill in the blank for you in the app. If you want to just pull out a piece of paper and write down whatever it is that comes to your mind, uh, that is available to you as well. So go ahead and do those. And it is July, everybody. So that kind of caught me off guard. Uh, so those of you who are student age, you know you have one more month to forget everything that you learned. Come on, somebody. And so this year is creeping by us. We're already halfway through. Uh, and it is hot. So this is a few updates for you in all of those. But we're in a series called The Summer at Victory. Uh, and if you're new to the church, what we do throughout the year is we study the Bible in series. So we talk about a particular topic uh, or a particular character or we do a book study verse by verse. Uh, but then in the summer, we kind of take a break and we just have a lot of standalone messages uh, that really probably don't need a whole series to themselves, but are still good for us to talk about, to see what the Bible has to say about these particular things. And so each week we're just taking one and they're a little bit loosely connected as you'll see in just a few moments but honestly each one is just kind of building on a particular area uh, in our christian walk in our spiritual life and so this morning is born out of a survey that we did on easter and if you could remember back that far i know a lot of us have about a three-day memory if you can remember back to easter we gave you a survey before uh, we started the service that just had a couple of questions and one of them was if you could hear a message on anything, what would it be? What do you want to hear what the Bible has to say about blank? And so you guys wrote in a lot of incredible topics and ideas and suggestions. And so we actually make an entire series out of those. It's called You Asked For It. And we'll do that in October of this year. Excited about that series. But one of the other questions on the survey was then, again, what can we pray with you about? What can we cover in prayer? What can we stand with you? And so you guys wrote in a lot of those. And we as a prayer team, as a staff, as a pastoral staff, myself personally, we pray over every single card that comes in. And I noticed something across all of them. I noticed kind of a common uh, denominator across those and across a lot of the cards that are written on Sunday mornings, a lot of the cards that are given to the prayer team, uh, given on the prayer chain. I noticed a common denominator, and that was the word anxiety, some version of that. Whether it's I'm anxious about this, whether it's I'm worried about my kids, I'm, I'm thinking or worried about my spouse, about my mental health, I'm thinking about these. Somewhere across those cards, every single one of them, I'm stressed out because of this at my job or I have this thing. Across almost, I would say two out of every three had this some version of this word. So I thought it'd be good to take a Sunday and we're just going to talk a little bit about stress and worry and anxiety and see what the Bible has to say about what to do in those moments what the Bible has to say about worry. And I thought, what better way to start off the Sunday than give you a list of all the things you could be worried about? Come on, somebody. We're just going to make a list of everything that could possibly make you anxious. I started to make a little laminated card of these and put them on the seats, but I got so stressed out reading the list, I didn't do that, all right? It just got me. But what are some of the places it comes from? I think we need to isolate that. And so I got online and looked at what are the things that cause the most stress in our lives. Come on, it was a great search. It was really fun to read through those. And I looked at some of the cards as well, some of the things that we see prayers over and over. And I thought we would just go through the list a little bit because I think every single one of us have at least one or two things on the list. I think some of us are like grandmasters of the list. We have all of them. But some of us, I just have a few of these on the list. And we're going to talk a little bit about what the Bible has to say about what we do in these moments and in these situations. Let's start off the list. First one probably all of us would have is relationships cause a whole lot of stress. Come on, somebody. Some of you are sitting next to that cause of stress right now. You just have that. Come on, that's, that's not... We, just, we won't do a show of hands this time, all right? So relationships, I cause a lot about my spouse about. And honestly, I think it bleeds into the second one, and that is confrontations. 
whether it's at work, whether it's in your relationships, whether it's in your marriage. Some of you confrontation all the way to church this morning. You just had it. Walk in the door. Yes, brother, we're blessed. We're good. Yeah, we're good. Fighting all the way. And we'll leave that for another Sunday. All right. Next one up on the list is the death of a loved one. A lot of stress that comes in that moment. A lot of us have walked through that. You know, the stress and the worry and the anxiety that puts on you. Another one, if I'm this on the list, deadlines at work. A lot of you are already thinking about Tuesday. I've noticed this on July 4th weekend. Like you're already thinking the stuff you didn't do on Friday. You're thinking before you even get to cookouts tomorrow, you're thinking about what can happen on Tuesday. Things that you left. Because on Friday you thought that's Tuesday man's problem, right? That's just his. He can deal with that. And Tuesday you're thinking, I hate that guy from Friday. I just can't believe he left me this work. Deadlines. Next one up. This one I wasn't expecting. Legal problems are actually growing in the list of things that cause stress among people. And honestly, I think it's because I'm not being actively sued. And so I didn't really think about that one. But a lot of people, this is one of those causes of great stress in their lives, especially in our society today, where everything becomes a legal problem. Everything is that. Next one up is job loss. Are you stressed, anybody? Anybody stressed already? You just already reading the list? Job loss, great stress. And then the next one, honestly, a new job. So we see prayer requests about job loss, but then we see a lot of people praying, Lord, give me a different job. I hate this job I have right now. I would say your current job, it's not on the list, but like your old job, great cause of stress. Coworkers probably fits under this one. We could do a show of hands for that one. Next one up, this one I never would have guessed. Retirement is on the list, everybody. And those of us who are not retired are just asking, what? What do you? And those of us who are retired, I guess you're just thinking, yeah, that's pretty true. Great cause of stress in life. But this one made the list next one up probably all of us is money problems financial difficulties are great cause of stress in people's lives come on i am getting stressed just reading this we need to turn the air down in here we just get a little bit cooler in here illnesses diseases that we walk through things that maybe are not just a two-month thing and they're gone but chronic illnesses this is a great cause of stress for people and i would just say honestly when you come across somebody a lot of times most of these are hidden A lot of times you don't see this on the surface, but it is causing turmoil within. And there's just a call to us as believers, the way we treat people, when you don't know what's going on underneath the surface, you don't know what chronic thing has continued. Great cause of stress in people's lives, illnesses. Next one up, parenting. Come on, somebody. That's just all the parents in the room. That is stress on another level. That's just something the Lord teaches you. Big source of stress. Another one I put on here is just the pace of life. We talked about that last week a little bit. Just the pace that we are living at is unsustainable. That is a cause of stress beyond. It is a cause of more ulcers, more things that people have endured. Just the pace of life. And then another one I put up here, expectations of people. This goes across probably all of these. That You have people in your life that expect you to be one thing. Or they expect you to be this. Or you say, well, I can't live up to that. But I also have to be this in this arena. But then they're expecting me to be here and do this. Expectations that we can't live up to. Then another one, I think as a pastor, that's very, very serious. I probably would have put it near the top of the list is unresolved sin. That if you've ever lived with an unresolved sin, it got quiet in this church, everybody. If you've ever had something in your life that you just can't, can't get rid of, or you just can't bring to light, or you're just holding back. You ever tried to straddle the fence where you say, I'm just trying to be holy on this side, but I got this thing that nobody knows about. You talk about stress in your life. You want to talk about a stress that develops into something inside of you. When you have that unresolved sin, when you have that unforgiven, when you're just, you're just holding it away because you can't bring it to the light, you can't bear to see it brought out, that could cause some stress. I heard somebody say one time, if you're straddling the fence, that is not a comfortable position to be in. Come on, somebody. The unresolved sin in our life. 
It'll stress you out. And a lot of people have that. Now, I have this list of things for you. And I added one at the end that I think is very... Honestly, I think 95% of us in the room, this is the greatest cause of stress in your life right now. That I think that we are enduring. And that is... Come on, somebody. Coming to a stadium near you in November. Come on. We're just going to have a... We're going to air out our stress. Those of you who are new to our church, I have an unhealthy fixation with LSU football. It's just something in my life. And outside of one magical season, it has not been healthy for the last few years, all right? Not have been a healthy fixation. I'll tell you more about that in the fall coming to the thing. Because I can't. Now, let me tell you. Let me tell you the bad news first. Let's go back to our list. Get that off my screen. I don't want that. I want to look at that this Sunday. Let me tell you some bad news first before we start today. Bad news is anything I say today, I can't make this go away. All right, we just kind of air that out at the beginning. I'm not here to give you 10 steps to make all of this go away because this is what we call life. This is what we call going through. And most of this list is what we call life. Most of this list is things that we're going to walk through. And I can't make it go away. Bad news is this is what most of you would call life as well. And the second bad news is God never obligated himself to make all of this go away. A lot of people get confused with that. They think God obligates himself to make every day happy, every day rainbows and butterflies. He never does that. What God does is he obligates himself to something else, and you need to know about it. And that is in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all these things that we call life, in the midst of all these things that we endure, all of the hardships that we walk through, in the middle of all of this going on on the outside, something different can take place on the inside. That you can have something different, even in the worst of the things that we've listed, even in the worst of the things that bring stress, that you can't stop all of these circumstances. But that in the middle of it, you can have this beautiful thing that the Bible calls peace. That even when you go through this list, even in every situation that we walk through, even in all of those, even in those things, you can have what the Bible calls peace. That you may not be able to stop the circumstances. And I'll show you this in a verse, John 16, Jesus said, I've told you these things. And let me just encourage you at the outset, go ahead and read this week, Psalms 14, John 14, 15, and 16. That Jesus is talking here at the Last Supper. These are the last words as he just explains to his disciples what's going to come, what's going to happen in their lives. He walks them through it in these three chapters. And so when he says in John 16, I've told you these things, he's talking about the three chapters before. All right, so read those, take about 20 minutes. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. And this is not just some empty cliche Jesus is saying. He is promising the disciples that you will have trouble. Because if you go in, and honestly, I don't think they realize at the table just how bad it's about to get. Because if you read their lives from this moment onward, it doesn't work out all that well for these disciples. Circumstantially. The things that happen, Jesus is promising them in this world, you will have troubles. And honestly, their lives don't work out all that great circumstantially. But you read the accounts of the disciples' lives, the apostles. And they have throughout every moment this incredible peace. Through every moment, they have this incredible sense of peace in their lives. The sermons they preach, the situations they find themselves in. And somehow they still have peace in the middle of it. Some of the worst things that could possibly happen. And Jesus says, in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. And here's the beautiful part, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And you think, well, those are kind of oxymoron. Like that just contradicts itself, right? I'm going to have trouble. He's overcome. But Jesus is teaching them how in me, you may have peace. So take heart. I started to call this message this morning, take heart. That even in the midst of circumstances, even in the midst of all these things, all the list that we gave, even in the midst of all those things, take heart because in him we have peace. He says, I have overcome the world. 
I've overcome the world. And this is not, again, an empty promise by Jesus. This isn't, you know, just take heart. I'll see you when I see you. No, he's actually promising that in the midst of this, we could have peace in him. And today I want to take the time we have left and just outline a single chapter of the Bible. It's out of the book of Philippians. And you can actually read the entire book. Again, that would be a good one. So John 14, 15, 16 on Tuesday and Philippians on Wednesday. All right, I'll just set up your week for you. You can read through the whole book in about 15, 20 minutes, only four chapters. But I want to look at the fourth chapter of Philippians this morning. Because I think Paul lays out kind of the blueprint or he lays out kind of the mentality we should have if we want to find peace in every circumstance. If we actually want peace, even in the midst of these stress-inducing lists, even if we actually want peace in these things. Because Paul, just to give you a little backstory, Paul is writing this letter in Philippians. He is sitting in prison, waiting to be killed waiting to be beheaded for his faith. Honestly, he's either in Rome or he's in Ephesus in prison. And so he's waiting maybe to get torn apart by lions or wild beasts, whatever it is. Paul is waiting for death. And he writes this letter. And if you look at this letter on the face of it, almost every other word is my joy, my joy, my joy. And it's incredible to see Paul writing because sometimes we kind of lose the perspective of the letters. We think, well, Paul just sat down and cranked out half the New Testament. He just just kind of wrote those things in luxury or some beach somewhere. Paul is sitting in a dark prison writing this letter to the church in Philippi, chained, waiting for his death. And he's saying, my joy, my joy, my joy. And so when you look at the letter, he's writing how he can have that joy and that peace in what we would probably put at the top of the list we just made. Fear of death, fear of being torn apart by wild animals, fear of being enchained and enslaved. Paul is writing this letter with all of these fears weighing on him. And he's saying, my joy is complete in Christ Jesus. And so he writes in Philippians chapter four. We're going to look at this. He talks about his joy, continues in verse four of the chapter. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And we didn't say it. I'll say it again. Rejoice. And so we're going to talk about this. How does he go from being in prison when he's waiting execution to saying all of these things, to saying rejoice in the Lord in every situation? Well, he's actually following the verses in the following verse. He gives us what he does. And I would just submit to you today that this will work in our lives as well. Paul gives us his mentality, his approach towards these things, and then he encourages us to do them as well. He tells us what he does to have joy in the prison. He tells us what he does to have joy in every circumstance. He walks it through in this chapter. Because if we're going to follow Paul's mentality, listen, this chapter doesn't promise you do these things and suddenly you find money in every situation of your life. It doesn't say you do these things and suddenly you find fame or power. You do these things and suddenly that list just kind of goes away and you have happy days from here on. That's not what the chapter promises. But twice in the chapter, Paul says you do these things. And there is a promise made in chapter four. Two times he says, he says, you do these things and the peace of God. You do these things and the peace that God gives. You do these things and the peace of God that surpasses understanding. means it doesn't make sense the times and situations when the peace of God floods your life. It doesn't make sense when the peace of God, it doesn't make logical sense to us how we can have the peace of God in those moments. But Paul is promising you do these things and the peace of God that passes all understanding, guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Can I just confess to something to you guys today? I know I'm a pastor, but I have a bad bedside manner, all right? I'm just, I'm working on it, but I am, I, if you call me when you're sick, I've got faith to pray, and I promise I'll encourage, but I just, just some, I just have, I don't know the words to say a lot of times in some dark situations. I just know to pray. I just know to, to encourage and to be around to do what I can, but I'm pretty bad at it, all right, everybody? I'm working on it, so you just have to forgive me. Um, I'm working on that thing. But one thing I do know, and I try to share this with every person, 
that I, I can't, that walks through a dark situation. It's just something that I have learned through situations of my life that I've had to walk through, that I've seen in other people who are stronger in the faith than I am, have said that when you have to walk through, that when you are in the darkest moment, when you are in that situation, look for the peace of God. Because it comes when you don't expect it. It comes when you have no idea it could possibly be in your life. It shows up in the most, look for it. Look for it, for the peace of God that comes with His Holy Spirit, the peace of God that floods your life in the moment of that. Look for it. Come in the most, it says the peace of God that passes understanding. You don't understand the equation. You don't understand why. You don't understand how it helped. But it's just something that God promises to his people that in these circumstances, all hell may be breaking loose around you. But there can be peace on the inside. That God gives peace on his inside. And so here's the first one. We're going to walk through what Paul says. Paul says we need to do in our lives. I'm just going to kind of give you a blueprint. You could jot it down if you're taking notes. Here's the first one. And that is we're going to worry about nothing. Come on, somebody. You just say, I tricked you, right? I'm just going to have worry about nothing. Paul starts all of this out in verse 6. Watch, he reads this. He says, do not be anxious. And the word anxious synonymous in the Greek there with the word worry. Be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. Worry about nothing. You've got to get to a place. If we're going to start this whole thing out where we worry about it's that anxious heart. It's that anxious. Worry is honestly, it's borrowing from something that may not happen anyway. It's bringing in this stress-induced thing from something that may, or honestly, it may be something that happened that you can't change. It may be something that may never happen. We're borrowing from that into our lives today. I heard someone say, today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. Come on. And here you are. God got you through it. We're borrowing from something that hasn't even happened yet, and we're ruining in the today. So Paul's first thing is to worry about nothing. We're going to worry about nothing. And now I know what you're thinking, because it's what I am thinking when I, when I see this. I know what you're, because when I read this chapter, I think about it. Thanks a lot, Paul. Like, that's just what, we're going to worry. Okay, that's easy. We'll worry about nothing. It'll be great. Write that down. What's the next point? We'll just worry about nothing. That's just easy. No, it's easier said than done, right? Because we all still have all of these fears. We, we say these things, and we probably said these things a few times in our Christian walk. I'll just worry about nothing. And then like day two, day three, we've given up on this entirely. We're back worried about every single thing in our lives because we still have those fears. I've had an opportunity to uh, lead mission trips from the church for about 10 or 12 years now. And one of the things that I've always found amazing is there are people who will sign up for overseas missions who are terrified of flying. Come on, somebody. Like, I love to fly. I enjoy it. I think it's relaxing. There's just something about being disconnected. I hope they brought Wi-Fi on planes now. I never buy it. I never use it because I don't want to be contacted. I love flying because you can't get to me. You just can't. But there are people who are terrified about the entire experience. Like, they pull up to the airport already full of fear. And bless their hearts, they want to go overseas. God has called them. And so I just, I just, I'm impressed, all right? They show up and they get on the plane. And again, I've told you, I have a bad, I am not a comforting person. And so I leave them alone. I don't try to comfort them in the plane. I try to get my seat as far away from them as I possibly can. And so those, those who have gone on a mission trip with me have wondered, why is Pastor Ben in the back corner? Just poor Pastor Ben. I pick my seat, everybody. I pick it, all right? We're going to have, we'll have confession time on Sunday morning. But they're terrified. But other people in the plane try to comfort them, try to, like, give them, you know, ideas and advice. And they're like, you know, Pastor Ben, how many times does a plane like this actually go down? Usually only once. Come on, somebody. Usually only. <laughs> you should come on a mission trip with me. It's great times. It's really fun. <laughs> they try to comfort and they'll try to tell them things like you've ever heard this one, right? It, it's you're fine. Your God will protect you. If it's your time, it's just your time. You ever heard that? It's bad theology, everybody. Cause like, what if it's the pilot's time, right? What if it's his, 
Not mine, but what if... Bad theology, we need to stop spreading that. But we have these fears, these irrational fears oftentimes that flood our lives and hold us hostage. And we can laugh at everybody else's fears. But man, we don't, we don't laugh at our own. And honestly, every time we even overcome a fear, there's always one waiting to take its place. There's some worry that's bigger than the one we had. When we were little, we had worries. We got older, we had bigger worries. It's, it's like there's one always waiting to take its place. We live with a worry. So what do we do in the midst of those situations? If in this world we will have trouble, if in this world we are promised trouble, then what do we do in the middle of the situation? What do we do about that? Paul is honestly just echoing Jesus when he writes this letter. Because Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 gives a sermon on the mount. It starts in 5, goes all the way in Matthew. encourage you to read that. That'll be Thursday, everybody. Just keep writing those down. Read the sermon on the mount. Because Jesus goes through this sermon And he ends chapter 6. He talks about a lot of different topics in chapter 6. But he ends with this discussion on the subject of worry. And you can see where Paul gets the idea where he says, don't worry about anything. Because Jesus starts this in the subject. Watch this in Matthew 6. He says, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And I think we skip that verse every time we really, really want to worry. I think we think, well, that's great, Jesus. I'm glad you told me that, but I'm going to worry anyways. I think we skip over this sermon. Who of us, by worrying, can even add a single hour to our life? And he goes on to discuss, and you worry about the clothes that you wear and the food that you'll eat. You worry about the things you'll do tomorrow. And honestly, Jesus is saying, you're, you're spending all of your time, by worrying, you're spending all of your time outside of the moment you're actually in. You're wasting the moment that you actually have, that you've actually been given because you're so worried about all the things that might happen, could happen, should happen, might need to. You're worried about all those things and you're not actually spending time in the here and now. What would it be like if we actually spent time in the moment? What would that actually look for our life? If we actually spent time in the morning, we're borrowing from the future from something that might not even happen. And so he ends the discussion. You jump ahead to verse 34. So he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. And he gives us the secret here. He says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Somebody, you need to put that on your fridge. Don't worry, for tomorrow will worry. Each day has enough trouble of its own. How many know that's true? Each day has enough trouble on its own. He said, don't worry, tomorrow will worry about itself. Tomorrow is its own set of troubles. Remember, today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. You spent all your time thinking and thinking, and then here we are. We spend all of our time wasting it. And so if I just give you an action step, just something to take away. I want to kind of walk through this Philippians chapter 4. But if there's one thing I could tell you from that is then just live each day one day at a time. Actually live in the moment. We talked a little bit about that in the preceding two weeks. Live in the moment. As Jesus is saying, don't worry about tomorrow. It can worry about itself. We're going to live in today. Because when you're in the moment today, don't think about Tuesday morning. When you're with your family today, don't think about what you have. You can grab that Tuesday morning. You can pick it back up on Tuesday. I promise it'll be waiting for you on Tuesday morning. But when you're with your family today, be with them. When we're living our life today, be about today. Even when he taught us to pray, Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. That's an echo out of the children of Israel and the manna that was given daily and then spoiled. He says, give us this day. Don't give me all of my life. Give me all the resources. Don't give it all as I need it. it. Give it to me this day. Give us today what we need for this day. Let's live in the moment. Let's begin to live each day with its own. Second thing Paul says in Philippians, second thing we're going to do is we're going to pray about everything. I love the Bible doesn't say stop doing something without giving us something we can start. Because if we're going to stop worrying about things, we're going to start praying about everything. 
We're going to pray through everything. In other words, in the middle of the situation, this is a discipline we have to have in our life. I think we've lost it, honestly, as a culture as a whole, but as a church, we have lost this discipline that we need to pray in every situation. Right then, right? When we come across something, we're like, oh, I'll pray for that. No, let's pray right then. This is something I struggle with in my own life that I'll tell people, yeah, I'll pray for you. Yeah, yeah, okay, we're going to pray about that. Yeah, we'll get that at the prayer meeting. We'll put that on the prayer chain. No, pray in the moment. When people are like, I was thinking about you. Well, pray about me. Come on, somebody. I was praying that moment. When you hear something, when you hear something that needs prayer right then, we're going to pray about everything. This is some discipline we need to have because if you're not careful, prayer will become a last resort for you instead of your first response. If you're not careful, prayer will become the last thing in the world you run to instead of the first thing. We're going to pray about everything. It's a discipline we have to have. And honestly, I love to hear my kids pray. If you ever heard kids pray, I love to, we're trying to teach them to pray, to talk with God as easily as talking with us or their friends. It's a work in progress, but we're working on it, everybody. But I love, no one in the world I love to hear more than my kids. I don't like hearing you guys pray. You're boring, all right? My kids, I love listening to them pray. And I, we'll try to come up with every situation we can. When we're leaving the house, when we're doing things, when we're looking for something, whatever it is, just pray, just pray. And we'll say, you know, the bike wheel broke down, we're going to pray over it. We're going to pray over it. We're going to pray and then we're going to act. We're going to do some things. And so when my son Elijah was about five or six years old, uh, we were working together on a Lego set and we were looking for a piece. And how many know when you are looking for a Lego piece, you need spiritual intervention to find that stinking, like you need, and how many know if you stepped on a Lego piece in the night, you just need prayer in general. You just need like, but we're looking for this piece, can't find it. And I was like, Elijah, we should pray. We should pray. And so he scrunched his eyes really shut and he said, God, we need to build this. And I was like, that's a good prayer. That's what we need. And he said, and we can do it. And you can do it, so let's help each other out. Come on, somebody. That's just... <laughs> you can add that to your prayer at night, everybody. You're, you could steal that if you'd like. I love it. We should pray in every situation. And listen to me. We should pray in every situation. And look at the verse. He says, we pray at everything. And you say, well, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Paul said it, so we pray at meals. That's great. You should pray before you leave the house. You should pray when you get in the car. You should pray when you send your kids to school. You should pray when they come home from school. You should pray when you go to bed at night. Pray when you get up in the morning. Pray before you take the phone call. Pray before you go into that meeting. Pray before you have that that interaction. Pray before that lunch at business. Pray in every situation we should pray. Every situation we should learn that we're going to pray and we're going to seek God with everything. We're going to include him in every area of our life. And we're going to learn to pray. And then it says to pray about everything. Watch this. Paul says in Philippians, pray about everything and petition with thanksgiving. So this includes, God, I'm so grateful for all you have given. God, I'm so thankful for the life that I have. Lord, I'm thankful for the circumstances I walk through because I'm going to pray about everything. Present your requests to God. That we're going to begin to pray about everything. Present your requests. And notice what happens when you do. Watch this. This is the first time it promises. This, back in Philippians, the next verse I just tell you, make your request known to God. And it says, and then the peace that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds. The peace that passes understanding. What happens when you do pray? Because we're going to seek God for everything. I want that peace for you, church. I want it for you in the middle of... I can't make the circumstances go away. I can help in every way I earthly can. I, I can be alongside of you. I can encourage. I can't make it go away, but I can teach you how to have peace in the moment. How to seek God in every situation. Watch this in 1 Peter. I want that for you. The Bible says this, cast all your anxiety. The word anxiety, that's worry, that's the stress, that's the things of life that pile on top of you. All your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. You want the takeaway from this one. The first one was in that we're not going to worry. 
We're going to live each day one at a time. But this one, we're going to pray about everything. Why do we pray? Because he cares for us. Listen to me. There is no anxiety. There is no situation that is too big for God's power. There is no situation that is too small for God's concern. He cares about us. That he wants to hear from his children. It says he cares for you. Cast your anxiety on him. There's a song that I sing over and over in my mind. Over and over in my mind that we cast our cares on him. And it says, oh, what pain and what shame and oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what pain, needless pain we bear. All because what? All because we don't carry everything to God in prayer. Everything. And I think too many times we keep it because we, God won't care about that or I, I need to handle this on my own or this is, just, this is just my cross to bear. I'm going to do it alone. No, no, no. We bring it to the foot of the cross. We give it to Jesus. Why? Not because we think we somehow make all those things go away. Why? Because he cares for us. That in our anxieties, we cast it on him. He cares about what you're facing. Number one, we don't worry. Number two, we're going to pray about everything. Then number three, Paul says, now we're going to focus on the right things. We continue in this chapter, chapter four. I would like to submit to you that you actually find relief from stress in the first two and you maintain it in the third. Because if you've ever made a great decision, if you've ever made some great, it might have been on this Sunday morning, you're making the decision. might have been last day. If you've ever made a decision, I'm going to do this. This is what I'm going to do. And you felt that peace in your life. And then suddenly, immediately, it was gone. Like a few hours later, like immediately you just lost it. Like you made the decision and you lost all resolve to do it. And you wonder, why did I lose that? Why did I feel so strongly about it when I was at church? And suddenly now I have no willpower at all on Sunday evening. If you've ever had that loss, I think it's because of this third one. I think it's because we go from here, we worship the Lord, we have these moments in his presence, we study together as a church, we pray, we do these things. And as soon as we leave, we let every pollutant in this world come crashing in. I think sometimes we make decisions when we're on the mountaintop and then we go back in the valley. And instead of being people of prayer, instead of being people who focus on the right things, we let every pollutant we can imagine come crashing back in. Because we think one day I'll just kind of resurface, get a breath of air. I'm going right back down. And we let all these things pollute these. Because Paul goes on, watch this, the next verse, verse 8. He goes from this idea, we're going to pray about everything. The peace of God will be in our lives. will guard our hearts and our minds. And watch this, he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure. I think we skip over that one sometimes in our lives these days. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, is anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about this is your filter, everybody. This is the filter we place. If we're going to think about the right things, if this is how we maintain the peace of God, if we're going to search him in everything, we're going to maintain this peace. This is our filter. This is what we're going to focus on. This is how we're going to think. This is saying, can I offer you just a thought? And that is, what would it be like if we made great decisions on Sunday? If we, if we made these great decisions on the mountaintop, we made great decisions in our own devotions when we're reading the word of God, we decided this is what my life is going to look like. This is what my family and I are going to follow. This is what we're going to do. What if we made those decisions? We prayed in everything. We cast our cares and our anxieties on the Lord. But what if when we, when we made those decisions, what if after we left that, what if we then said, I'm not going to allow any of those things then to pollute my mind? What if we just cut off? I'm not going to allow it anymore. I was thinking about us even last Sunday because I, I came out of last Sunday thinking, you know, praise the Lord. Technology has no hold on me. Come on, somebody. I'm just throw away my phone, throw away my, I'm just, I'm out. I'm going to delete all the apps. That's it. Got no hold. And then what? Like week two, three, we're binge watching Netflix, right? And crying about our spiritual failure. Come on, somebody. 
just the way that the, we seem to work. But what if instead of that, instead of saying we, instead of that, we don't let the pollutants. Or some of you, you got the news on 24-7. That is the background music of your life. It's some news anchor. What if instead of that, you got the news 24-7 in your house and you can't figure out why you hate everybody and conflict with everybody in your life. You just can't, you can't figure it out. You don't know why you hate your neighbor. You hate the people around. You can't, you can't see because you've got it pouring in. And honestly, I think that speaks different to different people. Because some of you, it's CNN or Fox News. You got poor and polluting your mind. Some of you, you get your news from Facebook or Reddit or wherever it is you find it. And you can't imagine why you have the stress and the conflict inside of you. Because we let these things pollute in our minds. And I'm not saying don't be informed, all right, everybody? It's not what I'm saying. But for the sake of your spiritual life, some of you need to have a cultural fast where you cut out the things that are polluting you. Some of you need to cut out the voices that have been shaping your thoughts before you lose any touch at all with the gospel. Some of you got to silence some, and it might not be a technology, it might be a person in your life, it might be a mindset, it might, whatever it is, some of you need to cut those threads before you lose any touch you have with the gospel of Jesus, with the love that we're called to show to others around us. We need to stop the pollutants from our mind. And it's across the spectrum. And we will hook ourselves on these pollutants 24 hours a day thinking that we are getting informed or enlightened. And we are polluting our minds. We're letting these things focus and we're letting these things shape the way we interact with people. We're letting them shape the way we love others. We're letting it shape everything about us. Letting the pollutants come in. I can tell this is real popular this morning. It got quiet at this church. Let me just say it this way. Whatever you are thinking, you are becoming. The things, and this is not some, you know, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it type of theology, like just think about it and you'll become it. But I promise you, if you set the rudder of your life towards the rocks, you will hit the rocks every time. What you are thinking about is what you are feeding into your life. And that is what is feeding into your heart. The Bible says that's who you actually are out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks the things that we begin to do. We begin to feed those things in garbage in garbage out. And too often in our lives, we think, well, I can just overcome it. I, I, I can get enough garbage in me, but I'll just kind of gloss. I know it says if you poison the well, what comes out of it? Poison water, everybody. And too many times we're letting pollutants in and in and in. What we are thinking, we are becoming. And so what do we have to do? We got to put that filter that Philippians chapter four talks about on everything. We put it on our TV. We put it on our internet. We put it on, honestly, the things we allow in our lives. We put it on people in our life. And we need to put this filter on everything that we're not allowing that inside of us. We're not putting up with that garbage. We're not allowing it to build up inside. Why? Because my life is shaped by my thoughts. Listen, I can't make the stress list go away. In this world, you will have trouble. But in the middle of this thing we call life, what are we going to do? What are we going to do in the midst of it? We're going to live for today. We're going to not focus on the troubles of tomorrow. We're going to pray in everything. We're going to focus on the right things. Because you can either carry it or you can bring it to the cross. You can either carry it and I've got to pray and give it to God. And here's the fourth thing then Paul says. And he says, I've got to stay content with my things. We're just working our way through chapter 4. He said, we're going to focus on the right things now. And now I've got to stay content with my things. Because the world comes along and says, yeah, yeah, that's great. It's good that you're you know, doing all those things. It's good you cut out all those pollutant sores. But what about this? Because you don't have this. Or what about that? And we, we get our minds off of anything spiritual. And we think, I don't have that. I really do need that. It says, well, so-and-so got this. What about that? Don't you need? And the commercial will come on and say, we have one left. Come on, somebody. And it is on sale for July 4th weekend. And you can't afford not to buy it. You know what I'm talking about? Like you just, I got to have that. And suddenly we're competing with everybody. 
And we're trying to keep up with the Joneses. We're trying to compete with everybody else in the neighborhood. We're trying to compete with everybody else in our small group. And we're thinking, I don't have that and I need that. And my life could never be complete until I have it. Listen, everybody, if I know America, it will be on sale again, all right? It will come, it'll come back around. They only have one left. They will make another one, all right? I promise you. I probably, they sell that one. They will gladly make you 10 or 12 more that you can buy. But we get so consumed with this idea of what I don't have. We're never content with what we do have. Never content with what we've got. And Paul talks about, back to our text, verse 11. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned, watch this, to be content, whatever the circumstances. Paul said, I've learned to be content. Let me say this, see if this makes sense. Some of us, the stress in our life is coming from unrealized expectations. Or it's coming from unrealized expectations. What would it be like if we lowered our expectations? Now, young people, this is not dating advice, all right? You keep your expectations sky high, all right? You are, you are a child of God and you deserve the best. But what if we as Christians, in what we decide we deserve in life, what if we lowered our expectations like Paul did? What if we're not expecting God to be a magical genie that gives us everything we ever wanted and we expect that in this life we will have trouble, but that's just what we're expecting already. We believe that God has a purpose and a plan for us. What if we lowered our expectations of what I deserve, I deserve, I deserve, I want, I want, oh, I want. And we ask God, what do you have for me? Because Paul said, I have learned to be content in every situation that I've had, everything. And honestly, I've read somewhere that anger was having an unfulfilled expectation. Anger was born out of that. That we just expect things and when it doesn't happen, we get angry. Now I'm angry about those things. I expect sunshine every day and it's raining again. Come on, June in Louisiana, it's just raining. What if we lowered our expectations? What if we didn't live our lives thinking, I want, I want, I want, I deserve, I deserve. We're content with our circumstances. Watch this. He says, I know what it means to be in need. And I know what it means to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. Paul said, I have learned to be content. I have learned to be content. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says, better one handful with tranquility. One handful with peace. Better one handful with the peace that all of us are craving than two with toil and chasing after the wind. You want the peace of God. Better content with what we have. Paul said, I've learned to be content in every circumstance. What would it look like if we were contented with one TV instead of eight? Come on, let's just start there, everybody. What would it be like if we were contented with 4K instead of 8K? Come on, we just, we just started our first world minds. What if we were contented with one night out instead of all seven in the week? What if we were just contented with that? I'm going to hit a nerve today. I'm going to step on everybody's toes today. I just got, I got a plan for you guys. What if we were contented? I'm just saying, we've got to slow it down. We've got to live with the pace that God designed for our lives. We've got to focus on the right things. First Timothy says it this way. Honestly, one of the most sobering verses for the church in America at large. He starts writing, he says, Timothy, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. And watch this, we can take nothing out of it. You never see a hearse with a trailer hitch. Come on, somebody. We can take nothing out of it, but we have food and clothing. We will be content with that, those who want to get rich. Sorry to preach a sermon. Those, if you want to get rich, we're going to have a sermon. And then I just read this verse. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You don't hear that too often, right? This is, you want to get rich. I got a seven step plan for you. It's all in this verse. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil got to stay content with my thing. Some people eager for money, watch this, have wandered from the faith 
and they have pierced themselves with many griefs. You want to pierce yourself with many griefs, be eager, be wanting, desire money. Shape your whole life around getting more money. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Just trying to help you with your stress today, church. What would it be? Here's just the takeaway. What would it happen if you stopped? I want, I want, I want, I need, I need, I need. And what if we simply made the statement, Christ is enough for me? What if we simply just said that in every scenario? If we want to have contentment, godliness with contentment, if we wanted to be content in every scenario, what would it be like if we just said, Christ is enough for me? It's all I need. Paul said, I found contentment in poverty and I found it when I had riches. I found it when I had enough to eat. I found it when I was hungry. He said, it has no bearing on my life because Christ is enough. Christ is enough for me. Because we all go through stress. We all have these circumstances. What would it look like if we were content with my things? Chapter in Philippians, Paul is waiting in prison, waiting to have his head cut off. Shows us how we can be content in every situation. All the stress in his life. And then the last one he gives us is simply this. I'm going to trust God for all things. He said, I'm going to be content. I'm going to learn to pray. I'm going to stop worrying. I'm going to have these moments, he says. But then I'm going to trust God. And I love that word trust. You know, today, you can't find somebody who trusts in anything. Right? Today's culture, trust is a lot. People don't trust anything anymore. We really don't. We live in an age where you question everything. And some things may be rightfully so. I won't get into that argument with you. But people start to question God. And I promise you, he's bigger than your questions. You can bring those to the foot of the cross, but too oftentimes we begin to question him. And I promise you, we question him from a place of distrust. If you're going to grow in your spiritual faith, you're going to learn to be content. If you're going to have those moments where you learn to have peace in every situation, there has to be something that you trust in. You have to put your faith and your trust in him. You have to begin to trust him. And Paul's like, he's not afraid of getting his head cut off. And in chapter one, they said they're going to kill him. They're going to behead him. And Paul goes in this, this diatribe about, you know, that's great. Let's, let's get it on with. Like, let's just, you want to cut off my head? If I live, I get to serve God. If I die, I get to see God. So let's just do it, right? Like, let's get it quickly. Because I'm ready to see Jesus. What can you do to a person like that? Answer is Nothing. What can you do to somebody with that kind of faith, that kind of faith in the relationship? Why? Because Paul trusted God for the outcome. Paul said, I'll put my head on the chopping block right now, right here, right now, because he trusted God with the outcome. Because he understood God had a purpose for his life. What did it mean to trust like that? That we would say, I'm going to trust God in all things. I'm so contented with the Lord. I trust him. Verse 14, verse 13, he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. When he ends that Section. I can be content in all things. He said, I can do all of it. I can be content with great witches. I can be content with nothing. I can do all of that through Christ who gives me strength. Watch this, because he comes back to this idea of through Christ. In verse 19, he says it this way, my God will supply every need according to his riches in glory. And watch this, the importance of all the chapter, the importance of all this verse, supply all your needs according to his riches, watch, in Christ Jesus. That's the key to this chapter, the key to the verse, the key to our trust in God is he's so, so reliant on this relationship with Jesus. He has a trust in Jesus that he knows in the midst of all of this, sitting in prison, waiting for death, his trust has never wavered in Christ Jesus. That he says, I can trust God because I know that he is faithful. I know that it is in my relationship with Christ Jesus. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy, might not be in your notes. He says, I know whom I have believed. He said, Timothy, I I know that I can be content. I know that I can trust in him because I know whom I have believed. And he says this, watch, and I am confident. 
I am confident that he is able to keep that which I have entrusted to him for that day. He said, Timothy, I know. I know I can trust God in all things because I know him. I can trust him in all things because I have faith in the relationship with Jesus. I believe him for the outcome. If we want to say, how can I, try, how can I have peace in the middle of the circumstances? Is to trust him, to know him. One of my favorite verses is in Psalms chapter 9. It says, those who know your name. Those who know your name, those who know who you are, those who know the name of God, those who know what you're famous for, those who know who you are, those who know your name, put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. You want to answer the takeaway for this, the final thing, just a thought for you, that is that trust is born out of genuine relationship. Those who know him. Like Paul saying, I know whom I have believed. Like Paul writing, I'm going to trust him in all things. Like Paul writing, our God who is in Christ Jesus will gladly bless and enrich you in all that you need. Because I know him. You say, I'm not going to worry. I'm going to pray about everything. I'm going to focus on the right things. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to do all of these things in my life. You say that, it comes down to this, that I trust him for the outcome. If I can just encourage you, church, trust comes out of real relationship. So if I encourage you in one thing, it's not listen to more of my sermons. If I can encourage you in one thing, it's not sing more songs that you think are really cool. If I can encourage you in one thing, it's not, it's, if I can encourage you, church, in one thing, if you want the peace of God in your life, get close to Jesus. Get as close as you possibly can. Those who know him, trust him. If you've ever talked to a Christian who has walked with Jesus, who has gone the extra mile, who has lived their life. You ever had an opportunity, a blessing to actually talk and hear their story? That they walked with him, that they know him. And that by knowing him, they trust him. That we get as close as we can to Jesus. As close as we can emerge and you get as close as you possibly can. Bow your heads with me as we close today. This is honestly what I think is one of the most important parts of the service. I honestly believe that because I, I just want to pray over you as your pastor. I just, I know that the stress levels are growing. I know that the problems are amassing. I know that the things you're walking through are as dark as they could possibly be. And it breaks my heart that I cannot make it all go away. And I, I know that I can't. But I just want to pray over you that the peace of God that passes understanding, the peace of God that goes above circumstance, the peace of God that reigns in the middle of darkness, the peace of God would be in your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Just want to pray that over you, that we would have the strength to stand in the midst, that we would take heart, that we would strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Just want to pray that before we go. Before I do that, I want to take this moment and just talk to some of you. Maybe you're in the room. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're watching later. It doesn't matter where you are right now. But if you listen to all of this and you're, you're here in the room maybe and you don't really know why you came and you're thinking it's all great, sounds wonderful, I'd love to have peace in my life, but you're realizing something and that is that you're far from God. And there are a million ways that you could get there. I understand that. I don't care about how you got there. I just care about what you're going to do next. And you say, I found myself far from him. I found myself, I ran from him, but I want to be in relationship with him. I want to start to learn to trust Jesus. I want to have the peace that God gives. I want to live my life. Because listen to me, there is no greater cause of stress and worry in a life. I cannot think of anything that could cause more stress 
been living unforgiven. I can't think of anything that would cause more stress than carrying the weight of your own sin and your own shame. I just want you to know when you look across this room, all of us have been in that position. All of us have lived under that weight of carrying our own sin, of wondering how I'm going to pay for my own shame, wondering how I'm ever going to get out of it. All of us have lived in that moment, and some of us have just found Jesus sooner than others. And we know that we're not worthy, and we know that we're not good enough, and we know that we could never do it on our own, but we have put all of our sin at the foot of the cross, and we know that Jesus' sacrifice pays once and for all. We know that this church is just a spiritual hospital. Some of us just got here a little bit sooner than others, but I promise you there is forgiveness waiting for you. And so right now, I just want to invite you. If you say, that's me, I'm far from God, but I want to have a relationship with him. You say, I've carried the weight of my sin, but I want to be forgiven. Right now, I promise you, he is waiting to forgive you. Right now, I promise you, there is forgiveness of sins. So here's what we do. We do it every Sunday. We're going to pray with you as a church. Nobody prays alone. I'm not looking to embarrass you. I'm not looking to call you out. I'm not looking to take you to some separate room. I just want to pray with you right now. And you can pray these words and you can mean them in your own heart. It starts with a surrender of your life. You say, not my will, but yours be done. You start with a surrender. You ask for forgiveness. You repent. It means to turn from your sin, to follow after God. And I promise you, there is forgiveness of your sins. I promise you, he's waiting to cleanse you, to make you brand new. That can happen for you right now. So church, let's pray with them. If that's you today, pray these words with us. Say these words, say, Jesus, forgive me of all of my sins, of all my mistakes. I surrender to you. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I pray right now for every single one of us. God, I pray, teach us to seek you in everything. Teach us, Lord, not to worry about the circumstances of life, but to pray and to seek your face in every situation. God, I pray as we go out this week, give us a filter that we can live our lives through. Let us always focus our minds and our hearts on you. Lord, I ask you in this middle of despair, in the middle of circumstance, God, I know that the stress is enormous. God, I know that the problems seem unsurmountable, but I ask you, God, let the peace of God reign. I ask you, Lord, in the middle of these things, let the peace of God reign, that we wouldn't let our lives be dictated by the circumstances, God. We wouldn't let our lives be dictated by the pollution around us, Lord. We wouldn't let our lives, God, be tossed to and fro by whatever life wants to throw at us. But God, the peace of God would reign. That it would guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray, do what only you can do. Bring the peace only you can bring. And we'll give you all of the glory and all of the praise for it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, church, can we give him praise for what he's done?